Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. <laughs> if you want any chance to recoup your money and get anything out of that podcast, do exactly as I say. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show. This show is being recorded for February 10th, 2024. Welcome to it. First to business. The show is not safe, not work safe. Creative Commons license, non-commercial attribution, 4.0, unported. Theme music is by the late, great band, The General Readers. They're at generalreaders.com. Bandwidth is provided via Cashfly under the kind umbrella of Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my day job. I will never have another day job again. So the entire uh, world of work can just suck it. All right. I'm going to play a song by uh, what I often refer to as my favorite band. I don't I don't know if they still there. They, they Let's call them a one-time favorite band of mine. Uh, the band Glass Eye from their album, Every Woman's Fantasy. I'm going to play a song called My Dog is Dead. This is not a song. Uh, there's no message in this. All the three dogs are alive. I'm looking at the uh, sleepy old uh, sick dog on the camera right now. I was going to play a song by Kira Wrestler. I said wrestler as if this is somebody who wrestles, but it's like, I think, Wrestler, Wrestler, like a Dutch name. Um, she was, when I first started listening to Black Flag, probably the Slip It In album maybe was my first thing I ever heard from them. Um, and then I worked backwards from there. So she was the first bassist of Black Flag I was familiar with. And for some reason or another, she popped onto my radar with some interviews and some stuff like that from the solo album, which isn't even new. It's like a year and a half or two years old. And the solo album, I listened to an interview with her and the solo album is largely about a dog of hers that, uh, that died. And I said, okay, I'll play one of those Kira songs. Then I listened to the album. I didn't really like the songs. Sorry, Kira. So, uh, but then I was kind of in the mood to play a dog song, uh, you know, of a dog living or not living. And then I thought, well, how about this Glass Eye song? <laughs> so here we go. Uh, it's The song is um, theoretically a downer, but I still, I love Glass Eye and I love this song. So here we go. This is the song, My Dog is Dead.
from the album Every Woman's Fantasy, that was Glass Eye with I Love My Dog. I played that song knowing it was about a dead dog. Uh, It's pretty heavy, but, you know, heavy in the sense that when you lose something or someone that you really love, the it, it hurts, but it hurts in proportion to how good it was having them. I remember a time... Oh, gosh, was it the late 80s? And I remember Harlow Ellison talking about how he went through this horrible period where every time the phone rang, it was because somebody died. And, you know, it's Ray Bradbury's dead and whoever, like some friend of his had died. And that's sort of kind of inevitable if you have a lot of friends and you outlive them. You know, there's just no no way of getting around it. The alternative is you die first. Or uh, I guess everyone lives forever. Uh, these are not, none of these are, uh, that's not a realistic option. Dying first is. So, uh, could be a downer, but, you know, the loss of a dog doesn't hurt if it wasn't a great dog. So anyway, uh, that was Glass Eye from the album Every Woman's Fantasy. A weird album that came out in 2006. They recorded it, like, so they're big, probably their their critical and commercial height um, was the album uh, Bent by Nature. came out in 88. They had a follow-up that came out in 89 or 90 um, called Hello, Hello, Young Lovers. They recorded this, I want to say, in 91. It didn't come out for 15 years. When it came out, it kind of came out to a, a thud because in 2006, I don't know that anyone was clamoring for a Glass High album. I think the time had kind of come and gone. And uh, then what I just realized is it came out 15 years too late, and that was 17 or 18 years ago. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, my God. So anyway, um, I am going to talk about Mastodon. It's been on my list for probably the entirety of uh, every show I've recorded in 2024. I've just never got to it. I have. I, I kind of went into Mastodon. Um, with sort of a thundering puppyish uh enthusiasm. When did I go in in earnest? I created an account in November of 2022 that I didn't really use, and I think maybe February or March I started using it, and then that whole Mastodon.lol implosion happened, and I had to. After I first started using it, then I had to migrate from my instance to a new instance. And that was, you know, approaching a year ago. Truth is, for the last four, five, six months, I mean, I use it. My show automatically gets posted there. I repost my show. Um, I'll log in twice a week, maybe. I will check to see if there's a new notification. I'll reply if somebody has anything or if something happened. I'll look around a little bit. I'll repost a thing. I might comment on a thing. But absolutely, um, it is not the way some social media have been for me. It is not a wake and bake. Oh, what what's what happened overnight on Mastodon? You know, I was like that at one point with Twitter and with Facebook and with FriendFeed uh, and various others, uh, you know, in the past. And I've been thinking about it a lot. Like what, like, what is it? Like, what is it or what isn't it? Like, what's, why would I, why would my enthusiasm wane for Mastodon? Which, I mean, it's 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 a it's a credible solution for what it's trying to do. So what is the issue? And I think the problem that I after thinking about this for a lot, 
of time, right? It's I was going to have this conversation six weeks ago uh, on the show, and I just didn't because I just didn't have the enthusiasm for it. But I've been kind of chugging on it in the back of my head for a long time. And I think the truth is we are – how far are we into social media? Like when was – I mean, Tribe.net, you know, MySpace. These were like late 90s, early 2000s, like the very beginning of Web 2.0. So we're, you know, 25 years, let's say, into social media. I don't know if you count BBSs, you know, I don't know if you count Genie and CompuServe uh, in the same bucket, but let's even be generous and count those. And now we're like 35 years into it, you know, something like that. Um, the truth be told, I think the real root of the problem is not in anything to do with Mastodon. I think it is to do with the entire category of social media interaction, which is I'm slowly coming to the belief that it is the right answer to the wrong question. <laughs> like it's doing what it's supposed to do. And the thing that it's supposed to do is not make lives better. <laughs> you know, the thing is, it's not to make your mental health better. Mastodon is kind of presented as an alternative to the commercial social media, which as we all know, Facebook, I think uh, I heard this on Wall Street Breakfast. Like Facebook, I think popped because they were you know fifteen or twenty percent over their revenue estimates. So whatever the fuck Facebook is doing to you, it's working. They're making money at it. Right? It's the the Pavlovian pellets that they feed you for pulling the lever are working, and and Facebook users are pulling the lever at enough of a rate that uh, Facebook is making plenty of plenty of money. What Facebook is not trying to do is make your life better or make you happier or do anything like that. They're trying to get that lever pulled another time. And then after that, they want that lever pulled another time. So then Mastodon comes along and says, oh, we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to give you a different kind of lever. It will give you a different kind of pellet. And, you know, and then at the end, we won't make actually money for getting you to pull the lever. Like, well, I mean, good on you for not being dicks about it, but it's still a lever. It's still a pellet. I mean, the analogy, this is first draft, right? So this is rough stuff. Do not uh, do not freak out if this is not uh, refined, because I'm really kind of uh, workshopping this. But here's the analogy I have come to. And, and let's say the original Twitter, like 2008 to 2014 Twitter, the Twitter, when people talk about liking Twitter, the era of Twitter that people like, right, which is... Not the Elon Musk era, but really wasn't even for a, quite some time before then. The height of Twitter when Twitter was at its most fun. Let's start as a baseline and say that is a punch in the nose. Okay? So that's that's the analogy we're going to use. So if Twitter of 2014 is a punch in the nose, Twitter of 2024 is kind of like a headbutt to the nose, guaranteed to break your nose. <laughs> you know, so that's what it is. You're going to have your nose broken if you use Twitter. So then what are the other things? I think Facebook probably is a punch to the solar plexus. It's not going to make you bleed as nearly as much, but, you know, it's still not pleasant. It's still not fun. It's still a punch, you know, and, uh, you know, what was, uh, you know, what was it? What are any of them? What is Instagram? Instagram, I think, is a kick to the crotch. You know, it may, may be harder or softer. You may have more or less to get kicked in, but it's a kick to the crotch. And they're all something like that. So then you come along to Mastodon. 
And the big Mastodon value proposition is, hey, it's a whole new kind of thing. And instead of getting punched in the nose, we're going to give you an open hand slap to the face. Isn't that great? And even more, we're going to give you the ability to control. So you can make the slap a little bit softer. So we can't make you not slap. I mean, that's crazy talk. But we can give you the ability. You have a knob you can turn that will make the slap not as hard. So what do you like that? You can have slap harder, slap softer. You can even kind of move it around the face a little bit. See how much control you have? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Mastodon, Activity Pub, yay, FTW. <laughs> it's like, no matter what you do, it's still the same shitty uh, mode of interaction. And I think, uh, on thinking about this, I think really to me, the heart of um, the heart of the problem with all social media. I have talked about this literally in the past is that when I go into my Facebook block list, I don't remember who any of these people are. And they are all friends of friends who said something shitty to me or something shitty where I could read it. Um, it may not have been directly aggressive towards me, but they just uh, they made it clear that they're not adding to the conversation. And I said, I don't even want to see uh, I'm wishing this fucker to the cornfield. I don't even want to see anything they have to say in the future. Unlikely, I, unlikely I'm missing much value if I just never see anything they say again. All the biggest fights I've ever had on social media are not with my direct connections. Never once had, not that I've, I've had friction with them, but I've never had a big, you know, that kind of the blowout fight you have on the internet where you go to bed mad about it and you wake up mad about it and you wake up and you think, I got one more thing to say to this son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, that kind of internet fight. I've never had one of those with somebody with whom I have a, a direct connection. And even in the podcast world and the social media world, all the problems that I've ever really had come with the drive-bys people who are not um, invested in your thing. They're not your connection. They're not your listener. Or they're not a regular listener. Something happens and you go viral and people who don't know anything about you or your thing or your style or what you talk about or how you talk about things or your sense of humor, these sons of bitches come in. Uh, and I don't mean to be gendered. They might be daughters of bitches. <laughs> they're just assholes. Let's, we'll say the genderless assholes because sometimes they're women that are uh, awful. So let me be politically correct and say sometimes women are truly, truly awful as well. It's not just men that make my life miserable. And these people come by and they get no investment. Somehow you get on their radar and now they've got shitty things to say about you, about how you don't know what you're talking about, or this thing that you said that's clearly a joke isn't literally true, or just dumb shit that ruins your day. My classic example, I apologize to longtime listeners who have heard me talk about this, but the time the dude, I'll even name him, uh, what's his face, Ravenscliff, Ravenscroft or Ravenscraft of the podcast Answer Man. And he was doing a thing talking about how great it was when you use compression on your podcast. And I made the statement that I didn't think his voice sounded better with the compression on. I think turning compression on makes it sound kind of artificial and it gives you this like FM radio shock jock kind of sound. And I said, I thought he sounded better with the compression off. And what he did was tell his people, his listeners who said, he thinks I would sound fake with this on, uh, tell him what you think about that. And then a bunch of people came and said, Cliff is the most authentic person I've ever 
run across. How can you say he's a fake? You know, how can you say that he's inauthentic? It's like no one listened to my everyone who. And by the way, there were dozens, if not a hundred, people that came by and did this. And uh, eh, but it wasn't a hundred. Well, let's say it was maybe in the thirties to fifties. It was a couple dozen people, and not it was clear from the uh, comments that these people left. Not a single one of these fuckers had actually listened to the thing because I was not talking about the gentleman. I was talking about his signal processing chain. Turning on the button that compresses your voice makes your voice sound compressed. And compressed voice does not sound like a real voice. It sounds like a treated voice. That's what I said. It was unambiguous. And then he says, well, he says I sound inauthentic. Tell him what you think. Fuck you, Cliff Ravenscroft. <laughs> I used to check it. I haven't looked at him probably in 10 years, but I used to check it, and it used to bug me so much that he seemed successful because he's the only person I ever I ever wished ill in the podcast space. It's like, oh, what a bummer. He's doing well. Now I don't even care. Whatever, man. Go with God. You are a goody-goody christian dude, so uh, I hope uh, whatever... Whatever, man. Just don't sick your uh, rabid sycophants on me again. <sighs> Although if he did it now, it wouldn't even bother me nearly as much because I just, <laughs> I just don't care about much, including life at this point. I'm just barely, I'm just barely hanging on by a thread. But anyway, that's that that um lo- extremely loose connection where somebody doesn't know what you're about, but has an opinion about what you just said. Somebody doesn't know anything about you, but now is saying that you're an awful person. That is like part that's not separable from social media. Social media encourages that because the whole idea is like share and reshare and post and repost and spread things around as far as possible, which means it's getting if somebody reposts your shit, it's going to people who don't know you. And that's supposed to be a good thing. Uh people want to go viral. People want reach. They want impressions. That's all the stuff we're supposed to strive for. And I'm here to say that actually that's the shit that makes you the least happy. I mean, sure, good things come from increasing impressions. You may sell some more whatevers that you're selling. You may sell some more songs or digital downloads or t-shirts or whatever. It also brings a load of horse shit with it. And so if your goal is to minimize horseshit, that is in exactly the wrong direction. So you get to Mastodon and, you know, there's all these fights about uh, here's why you shouldn't have shouldn't be able to uh, quote tweet or, you know, the equivalent of quote tweeting because it gets abused on Twitter and all the, you know, the. There's just this interminable arguments about here's why we do this on Mastodon, because it got abused over here at the end of the day. The worst part of social media is when somebody you don't know and you don't care about has a negative opinion about you. You can't stop that on Mastodon. You can have all these. They're they're very uh, concerned with all the moderation tools and the defederation tools and all this kind of stuff. You can't stop a human from being shitty to you. There's just no way to do that. And when you when your whole thing is about making um making people accessible to each other, you're also making shitty people accessible to you. And no matter how hard you try to create the tools to uh, mitigate that effect, that's under, that's 
inherent to what you're doing is you're making good people and shitty people accessible to you. And the dream of social media is that you know you can tune that and you can uh, you, you control that sifting so that you get way more good people than shitty people. But in practice, that kind of seldom works or you're always exposed to the burst of shitty people. It just, I guess at this point, I feel like I have less to gain from the upside of that. I will say whenever, if something happens, like let's say for some reason, the show that I posted last week has 100 times the downloads um, of my baseline. Now, this is sort of a hypothetical, theoretical concern because I don't know what, I do, I have not known what my downloads have been since 2006. <laughs> <laughs> or 2005, maybe. Since I've gone to Backbeat Media, I have never, ever once looked at the stats. And I specifically want to be protected from the stats. I don't want to know what it is. So for 18 years, I, I haven't known. Don't want to know. But let's just say that that previous show, uh, let's say, without telling me the absolute numbers, Dave Hamilton reaches out and say, says, what happened? You got 100 times the downloads of the previous show. What would be my feeling in the first five seconds? Would I think, yippee, I got 100 times the downloads of regular? Or would my first thought be, oh, holy shit, what fresh hell has happened here? Did Fox News decide that I said something? <laughs> Did I get on somebody's radar that's going to make my life miserable? Who Am I now picked up by some sort of conservative site as being the worst person in the world? Am I... Am I uh, <laughs> Is there a is there a permalink in some sort of uh, conservative fuckwits blog? It could. I mean, that could be good. The hundred X could be good, but that's not the first thing I'm gonna think about. My initial thought is gonna be sheer panic, as in, oh my god, what happened? Am I gonna have to? You know, do I need police protection? What, am I going to get bomb threats? Do I need to call 911 and say, uh, don't send SWAT teams to my house? What, what, Like, what is happening? What is going on here? So that's kind of, there could be good things that happen in anything, literally anything. Um, you know, when I was on BBSs and Genie, I had, you know, Genie, probably I had the absolute best ratio of positive interactions to negative interactions. It was not infinity. <laughs> like that numerator had numbers in it. Um, but I had more positive, you know, it was uh, greater than one. That ratio was way greater than one. Um, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, if you allow for the friends of friends on Facebook, probably that ratio is less than one. I probably have as many negative interactions from random drive-by dickweeds who I've never heard of before and I will never hear of again who have something shitty to say about the comment I left on my friend's post. And then they have something to say about me. And it's like, I don't know you. I don't give a fuck about you. Block. Right? That's why I have more blocks than friends on Facebook because I don't even, I don't even consider... Anything about anything. I don't know. I mean, when I first, the, the other thing is when I had my burst of puppyish enthusiasm about Mastodon, it was also tied up in a burst about 
activity pub as a whole. So the entire Fediverse. Um, the fact that I can be on Bookworm and my Bookworm posts go to Mastodon and they go to Firefly and whatever else. You can be on any uh, activity pub thing that does whatever. There's the one that does the event stuff, which I fiddled with. You know, all these things kind of interconnect. And I think that's cool. And I think there's power to that. At the same time, I just don't know that I care that much anymore. I mean, I, I, I had my technocratic endorphin rush of, wow, this uh, technical spec enables lots of interesting stuff. And then when you get down to it, it's people telling you how you're doing shit wrong. And the fact that you want a, uh, you know, the fact that you think, quote, toots are a good idea mean that you're uh, on the side of the colonizers and whatever. And, and you're never pure enough and you're never virtuous enough and your opinions are always wrong and you said the wrong thing. And by the way, you're using loaded language in there because do you know that this language, you know, in the 1400s, they use this term to denigrate something. It's like... I cannot police every fucking word I ever say. I'm trying to be a good guy. I'm trying to do the right thing. But I am also a human American white man in his 50s. I'm just doing the best I can. I'm sorry if I used ableist language or uh, you know gender conforming. What, whatever the fuck I did wrong. I don't care. Whatever. Whatever I did wrong. I wasn't trying to hurt anyone's feelings. If I try to hurt your feelings, you will know because there will be blood under my fingernails. <laughs> if there is not blood under my fingernails, I'm not trying to hurt you. <laughs> if I'm trying to hurt you, I probably will do it. Let's get it that way. I will probably be successful. <laughs> oh, All right. I'm going to stop right there on this particular topic. Let me know what you think. Surely people have a take on this. Do you think I'm off base? Do you think I'm on base? Are you, here's what I really want to know is, are you finding a different experience? Like, are you finding value in this stuff that I'm not realizing because you're using it different or you have different expectations? That's the thing I want to know is how much of this is inherent to the thing? Like, is this an immutable property of social media? Or is this just an immutable property of my interaction with social media because I'm never going to do it different or I'm never going to think about it different? In other words, am I the problem? <laughs> I could be the problem. I will accept that uh, Like everything I just said could be only cogent to me. So if it's different for you, let me know. Dave at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Or you can mastodon me, or whatever you can you can find me. I'm I'm findable. All right, let's take a sip of this. Oh, I turned the Ember mug on when I started recording. How warm is it? Is it warm enough? I'm worried. It feels like maybe I pressed a button wrong. Oh, that's not on at all. That's fucking not even warmed the slightest bit. That's sixty six degree coffee. Jesus. I can't even use an ember mug properly. I saw this light and I thought it meant it was warming. Probably meant it was charging. I'm just, I'm just a disaster. I'm just a general disaster across everything. All right. Now I'm going to have uh, a little bit of show and tell on the program. The question I asked myself last week is, I am, at this point, I have listened to, to something like 115 episodes out of the what will be 120 total 
episodes of the podcast 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. You may wonder, if the title is 60 Songs, how come there's 120? They expanded to 90, and then they expanded to 120. Um, and they're not expanding beyond. So we're almost at the end. We're like five episodes left from this. And I'm considering dropping this goddamn show. <laughs> Seems crazy to have listened to 97% of the show and then drop it right here at the end. But I'm really, really thinking hard about it. I'm going to give you an example. This is the beginning of the not there's an episode that dropped like yesterday or the day before. This is the one from last week. This is about the Goo Goo Dolls song Iris. Now, bear in mind, too. The song in discussion is the Goo Goo Dolls' Iris. I'm going to play you the beginning of this show. Do I love him? And do I profoundly and disastrously relate to him? Because his name is Rob also? Or somehow, is his name also Rob because I love him? And profoundly and disastrously relate to him. You stay out of it. A while back, Dick Barry and I agreed that what really matters is what you like, not what you are like. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. It is the year 2000. The movie is called High Fidelity, the 1995 best-selling Nick Hornby novel on which this movie is based is also called High Fidelity. The actor's name is John Cusack. John Cusack's character in High Fidelity is named Rob. Dick and Barry are Rob's friends. The main character's name is Rob in the book as well. Therefore, on account of the fact that I am named Rob, also, I love Rob. And, all right, that's about the point where I hit the button, stopped the podcast, and fast-forwarded 25 minutes, <laughs> at which point he was talking about Matthew Sweet, and I said, oh, I'd like to hear something about Matthew Sweet, as opposed to the fact that a character's name is Rob for the first five minutes of the show. So I backed it up for a minute, listened to stuff about Matthew Sweet, and then eventually they got to the Goo Goo Dolls. <sighs> I don't know. I, in the Evil Genius Discord... Eric Peterson seems to not have a problem with these intros. I'm really so tired of Rob Harvilla. Uh, I I really am considering just unsubscribing from this show, like right at the very end. It's just find it so very, very irksome. And um, I think as we have realized in an era when we have so much of everything, like so much of every little thing, why experience stuff that you don't, uh, you're not digging? Um, because I have been watching Cartoonist Kayfabe, I talked about them last show. Um, I have just about, like, I'm one episode from, in fact, I may have finished the backlog. Um, and the episode that I paused to come up here is, in fact, the one that released today. The backlog is done. I'm, I'm now, like, when they release a show, I'll watch it that day, and then I'm more or less caught up. The act of catching up meant that I have not been listening to podcasts. Which means I now have something like a hundred episodes in my list. Like even the like the second tier backlog stuff goes back like two or three weeks, but even the new stuff is like a week behind at this point. So um, there, it's a it's a bubble in the carpet, right? There's there's a finite uh, amount of time in a day, and if I spend my time on any one thing, clearing the backlog of any one thing, every other backlog uh, gets larger. That's just the only possible way that this can work. I've got lots of backlogs. So if 
my listening time is precious. Why am I spending any of it on anything that's uh, not uh, lighting me up? There's definitely a moral argument that gets made sometimes is the fact that we don't experience things that make us uncomfortable, makes us a different kind of person, bloody, 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 and that we only blah, 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 you know. I don't know that I'd buy that. <laughs> In fact, I think maybe uh, screw that argument because I, I don't think that I care. When I've got lots of things that I'm digging and some things that I'm not, why am I suffering through the things I'm not digging when there are plenty of things that I'm just fine with? <laughs> a couple of episodes ago, I talked about how I just paused the Cory Doctorow novel, The Lost Cause. I have not been back to it. It just, everything about it was just not... It just wasn't, I wasn't enjoying it. I was having no fun. And Reading Glasses podcast tells you, if you're not enjoying a book, don't suffer with it. Stop reading and read a book you will enjoy. Well, in my case, I stopped reading that book. I've read no books. But like I say, I've got lots of other stuff and lots of other backlogs to experience. So that's not a problem. Just so, and one thing that occurred to me is I know that Cory Doctorow admires Isaac Asimov. And Isaac Asimov is kind of known for um, he wrote a shitload of books, but he doesn't really have a good style. His books were basically good plots with cardboard characters and like thuddingly dull prose that propels that along. You're not going to get any poetic turns of phrase out of an Asimov. And I think possibly that's kind of the DNA that comes with Corey. Like he will tell you quotidian facts, but there's like there's going to be nothing interesting in the language. Like the interest is supposed to be in what's happening. And, you know, this person walked in and then they turned on the whatever and then they sat down, you know, and that's supposed to carry you through. And there's no metaphor. There's no poetry. There's basically nothing uh, other than just the raw uh, occurrences that are occurring in front of your uh, eyeballs. Out of curiosity, I just said, let me try something else just to, just to calibrate and to see uh, where we're at. And I took... The book Slow Horses, the first book out of the Slow Horses series. And I read the first page out of that book. And reading that one page was such a motherfucking delight. <laughs> the language was beautiful. The stuff was funny. He, you know, even telling you quotidian stuff. He's doing more than one thing at a time. He's advancing the character and being poetic and being funny all at the same time. And I thought, oh my God, this is a proper book. <laughs> I'm not going to read that other one. I'm going to read this one. If I have book reading time, this is the one I'm going to read. So I have officially dumped the one I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read Slow Horses next. I don't know how much the TV show and the books diverge. I mean, I will know the basics of the plot, but I'm going to tell you just even knowing what they were talking about, having seen the events that that first page encapsulates, having seen them unfold on the TV show. I loved every uh, every word that I was reading. It was just a delight. So I think it's going to be no problem that I know the rough details, the rough contours of what happens. Ideally, there'll be enough difference that uh, you know I'll have some surprises ahead of me. But there you go, McCarran, yay, Cory Doctorow. <sighs> so there you go. That's that's where I'm at on that. I mentioned cartoonist kayfabe, and in the last episode, I did you know I talked a little bit about. Um, uh, just like the sort of unnecessary, like sexualized stuff that Ed says, I haven't got any feedback on that. I kind of thought I would get um, a deluge of you hypocrite, <laughs> you hypocritic asshole. Is that a word? Hypocrite, hypocritical asshole. 
you're just as you're just as bad or worse than those guys. Why why would you say anything? I I and I really kind of wonder, do I have any I, I really had second thoughts. Like when I was editing, I thought, I, if I take this out, the show's like 20 minutes long. But like, do I even have a place having this in the show? So I, I thought about it pretty hard. And then I watched, you know, I've watched some, a bunch of shows since I recorded that. And every time, every time Ed, Ed Piscor says something about splitting hairs, he always says, you know, when he talks about some fine distinction that probably matters to very few people, he refers to it as splitting pubic hairs. That's not necessary. The word pubic does not advance the conversation. It doesn't add anything. All it does is just make it dickier. <laughs> so I think I'm in I think I'm in the right. Even if I'm not the right messenger, um, or let's say I'm the worst possible messenger, or one of the worst possible messengers. I think my basic point is right, which is, if these guys want to be the place you go to for comics, which I think they do, excising a fraction of a percent of the unnecessary language would uh, help that. I'm just trying to help, uh, and I'm not a drive-by. I own cartoonist kayfabe t-shirts. Um, speaking of t-shirts, um, this is both for the patrons and um, theoretically I still offer stuff packages for sale. Even if you're not a patron, um, honestly, somewhere in one of the uh, migrations, the page got fucked up. So even if you went to that page, I don't, I think you just get the, I don't think you actually get the stuff package page anymore. Something happened to ruin the configuration. Um, and I didn't, it's probably been like that for years and I never noticed until recently. I very, very recently bought myself a Silhouette Cameo 4. But it used off of Facebook Marketplace, which, you know, is what it is. But it's effectively, like, if you're not familiar, it's a CNC router machine for crafty moms, basically. It, it's it's a, got a little cutting wheel, and you just cut stuff out. And what you typically do is you take, like, a sheet of some sort of material, and you cut out your design, and then you rip everything away, and you get your design. So... Your Evil Genius Chronicles logo, you cut the outline uh, on your heat transfer machine, and then you put it in a heat press and you make a shirt. So I am about halfway towards the ability to make my own shirts. This is not silk screening. It's kind of like a different strategy than silk screening. And I had been looking at silk screening new shirts. The whole problem with silk screening, and up to this point, every shirt that has ever been produced for this podcast was some run of silk screening. And it's an economy of scale thing because there's a setup cost. That's typically, you know, you got to create the screen and you got to do some stuff. So it may cost you somewhere between you know, 30 and and $100 fixed no matter what. So if you ran off two shirts, you know, those shirts cost, you know, $45 a piece. You know, you've got to you've got to run a fair number of shirts just to amortize out the setup cost before uh, it's reasonable. So that ends up meaning that you have to warehouse a lot of shirts. You know, it's it, it's a thing. You've got a lot of trade offs and you have to guess. And back when I was selling the stuff packages with uh, at a pretty good clip, I would usually try to wait until I had a couple more orders than I could fulfill because I was trying to gauge the size proportions. And sure as shit, somebody would order like a triple extra large. And then, you know, I wouldn't have another one. And so that I'd have like orders for like two triple extra larges and two double extra larges and a few other things. And then I would go and run it and I would order, you know, I'd run enough for my double X's and my triple X's and, you know, all the stuff. And then I would order a few extras. And then 
the week after that, you know, I got the box for that run of shirts, I've got like five more orders for triple X's and now they're all gone again. It's like, I'm not going to run a whole nother order just for the triple X's, but it's like, I, I, it's so keeping them in stock, all that stuff is just maddening. It's just awful. The deal with these, um, cry cut thing. So the, the market leader is CRI. C-U-T. And I have been calling it cry cut in my head until I bought this thing from the lady and she said, I just like the cricket machine better. I'm like, you pronounce that thing cricket? Is that how you pronounce that? I'll be goddamned. I thought it was cry cut the whole time I've ever. This is like being a little kid reading lots of books above your reading level. You don't know how to pronounce words. When we had our softball tournaments a couple of years ago, um, these shirts were made for the families and they were made in like a couple days and i always wondered how they got the shirts made so fast turns out they were made with these machines that somebody created a design printed out the des- you know the things heat sealed them onto the shirt and that's actually what changed my mind is i've had these softball shirts and i've been wearing them for years and the designs on them have worn as well or better than equivalent um silkscreen designs because like my fear would be you wash it a few times and that thing just falls apart well those vinyl tr- heat transfer designs on the shirts where I have those, those have been champs. And my silk screens, you know, get kind of crunchy and, you know, you get that cracked look in a silk screen shirt over time. So I was like, screw it. Let's try this. So what this means is that I'm gearing up to where I can do short runs of um, merch and conceivably I will also be able to create mugs. So so I might be getting back into the merch game. And so I can do them. It's also, it's a thing that's separable. So I could print a couple shirts at a time and a couple mugs at a time and then ship them out. The problem with silkscreen is you got to print, you know, 50 shirts to make it worthwhile. Or you got to print, you know, 75 mugs to make it worthwhile. There, There's just not a short run uh, option, which means it's a big bang process. You know, it's the Kickstarter fulfillment thing. You know, what? do some envelope math. If you order, you know, that's the whole thing with Scott Sigler, like the first time they did their thing with the 3,000 books. Until you do some envelope math, do you know how much room 3,000 books takes up? How many pounds does 3,000 books weigh? How many boxes, how many pallets are 3,000 books? How big is my garage and how how much room is in my garage relative to those pallets. If you don't do that math, you may realize, oh, this shit is more than I was bargaining for. So the idea that I could, uh, you know, in any given day, I could ha- ship out three or four shirts a day, um, you know, and, and just do it that way. Uh, that's appealing. What this also means is patrons that I have owed shirts for a very long time. I'm going to work something out with a credit system. I'm going to figure out how many shirts I owe you. There are people who have been patrons for a long time that I owe like eight shirts. What I'm going to do is say, you have eight credits. You could maybe, and maybe a hoodie is, you know, it'll all be relative. Like here's what a shirt costs. Um, and a hoodie costs four times that. So four credits will get you a hoodie. So conceivably the patrons might be getting, you know, you can, so you'll be able to get evil genius shirts in other colors. That's the other thing is, uh, other colors of logo, other colors of shirt, uh, other materials. It could be a hoodie. It could be, I don't know, a beach towel. I don't know what, like let your, if there's a thing that you as a listener or patron wanted the logo slapped on and it is physically possible to do it with a heat transfer vinyl material. Uh, uh, let me know, David, evil genius chronicles.org. We could maybe do this. So if you want an evil genius chronicles mug, 
Could be a white mug with a black logo. Could be a black mug with a white logo. Could be a red, you know, whatever, a red mug with a green logo. I don't, whatever. I don't care. Um, if it can be cut out and applied via heat, then sky's the limit. One of the things that's always on my mind is I put out my, that box of rock scene. I put out issue number one right before the 2020 election. It's now February, 2024. I still am thinking about putting out issue two. By the way, I put zero bits of pen to paper. <laughs> it's not a dead project. I've been thinking about it. There's not one week since the last issue went out that I haven't thought, huh, I should do something on issue two. Literally every week for the last 3.7 years, I have thought about this. One of the things I thought about is I could use this uh machine and I could cut out the logo stencil like and put like colored paper in as page one and have the logo shine out of the thing in color. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I'm thinking about. It's like, if I've got this thing with a cutting wheel and uh, a computer program that runs this thing, what can I cut? Like what material can I cut a hole in that will make something interesting with either the positive or negative space. You know, in this case, it's the negative space I care about in, you know, the heat transfer vinyl. It's the other way. It's the positive space. You're cutting around the logo and discarding everything else. By the way, I paid these things. I think retail at Amazon for in the high two hundreds, maybe 300, maybe like 280 with discount. So this lady was selling this thing for 200 bucks, which seemed like a good price. But there are other people in my general area selling them for about the same price. The reason I went with her is she threw in for the same 200 bucks a tub of material. So vinyl and all kinds of shit. The, probably the retail value of the shit she threw in there is $300. Like if I were to go to Michael's and buy everything in that tub, it would probably have been well over $200. Might have been over $400 for all I know. One of the materials in there is a roll of red window cling. Well, it's early February, and when you go to your Silhouette Cameo Getting Started page, they down let you download a couple shapes to just dick around with, one of which is a heart. So I said, huh, what if I take these hearts and cut out some window clings? So I took a 12 by 12 canvas, and I just put as many hearts in there as I could, put some upside down so I could kind of pack them in there better, cut them out, and those things worked like a charm. They're sticking in our uh, kitchen window right now. Just a little Valentine decoration. So that was like my first thing I played around with. And then the light went off. It's like, oh, what else? So I could very easily right now go and cut an Evil Genius Chronicles logo in a red window cling and stick it in my car. <laughs> and I might very well just do that for a proof of concept. Um, you got to think about if it goes on the inside or outside, because you might have to mirror it. Like if I want it inside the car looking out, I need to mirror it before I print it. There's a certain amount of uh, like fiddling with that, which is like, what direction am I printing? <laughs> like, what direction am I printing on the material? What do I, am I doing it backwards? Am I doing it? What am I doing? But my head is full of possibilities about things I can do with these machines. So uh, if any of that jumps out at you, if you as a listener or patron want any of this kind of stuff, uh, think about it. Reach out to me, Dave at Evil Genius Chronicles. Org. I think that's the show. Um, if anything, 
I always have in my head kind of what I think a show is. The shows have been getting longer. I mean, I suppose it's my own version of being Robert Harvilla on 60 Songs that explain the 90s. Um, I don't know that my show needs to be 50 minutes. I feel like I'm giving you more value, but I might be giving you less value beyond a certain point. Feedback, always welcome on that. Also, show notes will be up at evilgeniuschronicles.org. But before I get out of here, I also can't forget to do this. It is time once again for a thing we call the reading of the patrons. The following people went to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon, and pledged to support to keep the shambling mess shambling. Thank you to Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, Arhuli, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Paul Reynolds, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Brian Springer, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, Brian Hogan, Matt Beckwith, and patron in exile, Nutty Nukchas. Thank you, one and all, for supporting the shambling mess. And with that, let us kill the music. All right, I left the hole. I was actually in the dismount, and then I realized, oh, I haven't done the reading of the patrons. So let's do that. Again, davidevilgeniuschronicles.org, show notes at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Thank you for listening. Uh, let me know merch ideas that you, let me know the merch that you would want in your life. Be the merch you want to see in the world. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Do not forget that I love you. Goodbye. One of the things that was in there was Red Wingo. Win- Run of the. When that's, when that's over, over, if we're, we're still, still alive, alive, I'll clean my own fucking mess up.